Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Uh, all right, a couple of quick announcements before, before I start. Two birthdays, and happy Super Bowl. That's one. Um, on this side of the state, that's the least of the sport things that I'm involved in, except, sorry, Kayla, I know. I did wear my Broncos jersey this morning, which is close enough. Um, and uh, except I do like smoked items uh, for food, so I will be enjoying those tonight. Cut a jalapeno in half, cream cheese, wrap it in bacon, smoke it 220 for two hours. Pecan wood is great. I won't tell you the name of those because it's, but they're good. All right. Uh, so happy Super Bowl. Also the marriage event coming up this weekend. Sign up for that. Um, it's going to be different. We're going to have a fun time on, on Friday night. Uh, it, 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 the cost is $10 and I want to tell you, you will get more than that back in restaurant gift card. So uh, we want to provide a date on Friday night. We want to give you some things to listen to and some things to walk through. And then we're going to have a fun, interactive, social media interactive activity Friday night. Okay, that's that. And then a couple of birthdays to celebrate. Um, first birthday is a newer one. Kenzie Alyssa uh, Waymack was born to Joel and, yeah, you can clap. Yeah, Joel and Laura. And this was on Wednesday. Thursday. When? Thursday. Thursday. All right. The days blend together. Thursday. Uh, seven pounds, eight ounces. And she is a cutie. Uh, and with Lily, are you going to zoom in on that? Lily, like day one birth picture, you're like, that's Joel's. Uh, Kenzie looks a little bit more like Laura. So we rejoice in that too. Um, is it not working? All right. She's a cutie, take my word for it. Uh, the other birthday that we're celebrating today, which I thought he would be here, but he's, he's not, and I don't have a picture of him on my phone. Uh, Darden is 73 today, uh, so we want to wish him a happy 81st birthday. And uh, I think it's snow and the cold, not good for them old bones. But happy 58th to Darden, and uh, if he's home, uh, do we have, you don't have, we don't have a picture. Um, so, uh, but we're celebrating with Darden today as well. That's why he preached last week and got it out of the way so that he could, uh, stay home and be home today. Uh, you, you know how big of a Chiefs fan he is too. Uh, he also, like me, likes food. All right. Let's get into the sermon and, uh, I'll stop on this stuff. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, this is, this is an older movie. This, is kind of, this kind of dates it a little bit, but uh, I don't know if you remember the movie American Tale. Anybody remember, remember that movie? Uh, which, I found this out when I Googled it, is spelled T-A-I-L. I guess for the mouse thing? Okay. Okay. Um, it came out when I was a kid. And I remember it being like one of the first animated movies, that, but it actually had a song that they played on the radio. Um, which was not Peebo Bryson. I thought it was Peebo Bryson. Here, all kinds of things that I learned when I Googled this. Um, 
But basically, if you don't remember American Tale, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a brief synopsis of it. Fievel is a mouse. Uh, his family is coming to America because they've been lied to um, and told a couple of facts about America that are not true, one of which being there are what? No cats in America, which is not true, and that the streets are paved with cheese. Uh, Anyway, somewhere in there, he gets lost from his family. He gets separated, and the entire movie is them looking frantically for each other uh, underneath the same big sky. And that movie, in, that, in our household, that movie has kind of become like an archetype of movie that causes my wife stress so we don't watch them, right? Because the whole movie is like, Fievel's on one side of the street and his family's on the other side of the street and, and they just barely miss each other. And this goes on for, they could, there's like 10 times where they could have just ended it, but they decided to carry it out for a full hour and 20 minutes and it's, and it's frustrating. Um, and and there's, a, there's, there's all these things in the story that leave you with this kind of like, come on already. Uh, and so there, there are parts of that, that that's a good story, right? A story starts off in an idyllic situation. Uh, it starts off and things are good. And at some point, usually early on, there's a conflict that happens. Um, and, and the story goes south. Uh, and if it's, if it's a Hollywood story, then you usually got two or three hours until there's go- total and complete resolution. Uh, and, and you walk away going, ah, okay, good. Um, but if you write stories or movies that, that introduce conflict and then it just keeps going bad and you're like, what? Come on. And, and especially in the beginning, and it's like you can't even get the story moving uh, without somebody messing it up, you run the risk of losing your audience. Uh, or like my archetype movie that we no longer watch, uh, like Downton Abbey, when the actors and actresses get offered better paying jobs, uh, and so you have to kill them off, and then I'm just done by the end of season three. Forget it. That's a whole other thing. Um, that's my, that's my move. That, those are my shows that I won't watch, because I see what's going on. Today, in the biblical story, we're going to get to Genesis 12. Here's what Genesis 12 is. You have bad start after bad start after bad start. The first 11 chapters of the Bible, while it's very, very important, you're like, oh my goodness, how many times is this going to be messed up? We have in, in 11 chapters, which covers the span of a few thousand years, okay, at least, so details are sketchy, but you've, you've, we've lost paradise, messed that one up. Um, the entire creation has been flooded because of the sin of everybody, uh, and then right after that, we try to build a tower in our name, and then we can't even talk to each other anymore because we've been scattered out from the Tower of Babel. This is not a good way to start a movie. (laughs) You risk losing your audience. And yet, in each one of these tragic decisions, we're not left without hope. God comes back. God comes back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, God rescues Noah and his family, though the world is filled with sin. And then today, what we're going to see, even though God confuses the language of all known mankind and spreads them out to the ends of the earth, he starts a new chapter and a new beginning to come after them. So, actually to come after us. 
Let me read from you. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 11 and go through uh, the first part of Genesis 12. It's a very well known, this contains a very well-known passage. If I can get there. I should have marked this out. All right. Genesis chapter 11, at the very end, there's if Tower of Babel, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and then we'll go through chapter, uh, verse 7, chapter 12. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot, and Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, uh, of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, Sarah was barren. Okay? That's important. She had no child. That's why I read all that part. So that's the part to remember of all those names. Okay? Terah, uh, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, and his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. All right? Chapter 12, a new beginning. If, you're, if this is a Star Wars thing, this is where we go. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At, the time, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring... I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Um, let me give you a quick recap of how we got here. Uh, we had the flood, uh, and God had spared Noah and his sons. Uh, Darden talked about this last week. The sons Ham, uh, Japheth, and uh, Shem. And if you remember, uh, Nimrod was the son of Ham, went and built a big city, Tower of Babel, to glory in its name, uh, a city to the glory of man, which will be referred to from here on out as Babylon. Um, and the people of Babylon will represent the people whose faces are turned against God, people who are for their own glory. And remember we talked about last week, Genesis 11 tells us all of the different nations and tribes and peoples that are going to be throughout the rest of the story here in the Middle East. God frustrates their plans, sends them out across the earth, confuses their language, uh, and then the remainder of Genesis chapter 11, we see the descendants of Shem, 
which are the Shemitic people, the Semitic people. So if you wonder where do we get uh, that term, that's where that comes from. Uh, and this takes us down to, in chapter 11, Abram. By all accounts, these are pagan worshipers. They are not worshipers of God. They're in Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, and they have formed and fashioned and made different gods to worship and to explain the world around them. Right? So you worship the God of the crops so that you have good crops. You worship the God of fertility so that your livestock produces. And that's, that was the pagan worship of the day. Uh, and that flows out of Babel, people's hearts against God. Uh, and at this point, seemingly out of nowhere in chapter 12, God speaks to Abram. Now, if, you just, if you're just reading this, I mean, if, if you know the story well, you just kind of flow right into it. But if you're reading it and you're new you're just, to, the, to the Bible, it, there's some questions there. All of a sudden, God shows up again. God said to Abram, okay, um, there's some good questions there that we can ask. There's some presumptions that we need to unthink. For example, uh, Abram did not have the story of Genesis 1 through 11 like, he couldn't just Google that. Um, he couldn't look it up. He did not have the Bible up to that point. He didn't know any of that. So you're going to be reading the story of Abram, and you're going to be going, well, why does he do that? Doesn't he know? No, he doesn't. God said go. Abram went. Paul tells us over and over again, credit that as righteousness. That's a good move on Abram's part. So we need to know that. God comes up out of nowhere. We have no account that Abram knew this God before he shows up and says, leave your home and your country and your kindred. Um, now, why did God choose Abram? Anybody know? Okay, good, because I don't either. Uh, we're not told. We're not told. We're not told that there was something about Abram that, was, that, that, that caught his eye it was simply God's good pleasure. It was God's grace. It was the descendant from Adam and from Shem. Abram was not a worshiper of God that we're told. Uh, we will see Abram slip into some old practices as he goes. Um, and, uh, but what Abram does do is, is when God says go, he goes. Now, here's the deal on that. Um, God, God has a choice. God in his sovereignty and God in his goodness and mercy, God gets to make choices. Uh, and we trust that he is in control and we trust that he is ultimately good and just. He has revealed that uh, as he's made himself known throughout time and history. Um, but God gets to make that choice, and we're not told why. Uh, during the lockdown, uh, we started doing, once that happened, we started doing takeout. We tried to do local restaurants and takeout on Friday nights. Uh, and so every Friday night, we'll go and get somewhere. And we were on vacation this summer, and the kids, I said, all right, you can have anywhere you want. And they were like, Burger King. <laughs> so uh, you can either be proud of me as a parent or an ultimate failure as a parent. I don't even know. But... Sometimes I give them a couple of options, right? You can, we can do this or we can do this. Um, but ultimately, I'm paying. So if I don't like the choices they make, 
Sometimes I'm like, well, guess what, guys? Dad's overruling, and it's unfair uh, to them. Sometimes with God, when I think all of the world and time and existence should revolve around me, and I should be able to question all of time and existence, it's appropriate, we read from Job this morning, where God sits Job down and says, do you know who set these boundaries? And the invitation for Job is to answer, no, I do not. (laughs) And God says, yeah, that's right, because I do. Um, But here's the thing, this doesn't make God this just like dictator or this capricious uh, uh, that I can do whatever he wants. He doesn't owe it. He doesn't owe his grace and mercy to Abram. We've talked about this a lot of times. The, the, The story could have ended in Genesis 3 and Genesis 6, and Genesis 10. (laughs) So God's pure grace and mercy starts over again in Genesis 12. And I don't know why he chooses to do that. And we can ask all kinds of questions, and we can frame those questions in in various ways. Well, why did God choose Abraham? What about what, what was wrong with Lot? What was wrong with Haran? What was wrong with the Jebusites? I don't know. God chose Abram, and we rest, and what God demonstrates over and over again since then is not only uh, am I not the center of the universe, but God is, but also that God has the right to do that, and he doesn't owe it to us, and even still, he is still good and merciful and just and right. And so God makes a covenant with Abram, and we call this the Abrahamic Covenant. God will eventually change his name to Abraham. Um, And this is what he tells him. And it's kind of starting over. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all the families of the earth you shall be blessed. The first thing God says to Abraham is this, go. All right, think about this. Think about this. What we just came out of was the Tower of Babel, man building a tower and building a city to his own glory. And then God frustrates that plan and sends them out to the ends of the earth. And then in the very next chapter, he shows up to Abram and says, guess what? I am sending you to the ends of the earth to bear witness once again to me, to bear my image to be my messenger. Abram, go after him. Leave your family and your kindred. Remember what in the Tower of Babel, they're like, let's surround ourselves lest we be sent out. And God says, this is going to be hard. You're going out. And you're going out without me. But then just a couple of, just a couple of generations later, he says Abraham, uh, to Abram, you're going, and you're going not in your name, but in my name. And then he makes a covenant with Abram. There are four components, and this is, this is going to be the rest of our time here, four components in the covenant promise to Abram, okay? There is a seed. God promises Abram a seed, a child, and then from that child, a nation, a people. There is a land, And we're going to cover that because last time when I preached on Babel, I said, be careful about land. We're not tied to land, but the purpose of the land is different. And then God's blessing to him, to Abraham, 
and then God's blessing through Abraham. Okay? Those four components. First, God promises that from Abram there will be a seed, an offspring. In verse 7, when Abram and his wife and his nephew are standing and looking out at Canaan, uh, God basically says to him, this is going to be yours. It's going to be your people. Um, To your offspring I will give this land. Now, here's the deal at this point. Sarah, his wife, is barren, and they're 75 years old. Now, I know people lived older in older ages in the Bible times, and you read, and they go to like lots of age. 75 is, is pretty old. It's, it coming, it's coming right after the flood, so ages have changed a little bit. And, and um, that's old to have a baby, right? Can you imagine being Darden's age and God coming to you Sorry. And then it's going to be another 25 years before God actually fulfills that promise. So if you're good at math, that's 100. That's crazy. I'm 45, and I have a 9 and 11-year-old, and I two older ones, but the 9 and 11-year-old, they wear me out. Abram is 75, and you can imagine a bit of skepticism on Abram's part and on Sarah's part. Here's a couple of things on this. One, God will fulfill his promises. Every one of them in scripture, God is faithful to fulfill. God's promise, however, will rarely come the way that we think it will come. And in the timing. Right? We read this and we go, God says to Abram, you're going to have a kid. And he had Isaac. 25 years later, at 100 years old. But God fulfills his promise. But that requires, on our part, patience and trust. We live in a culture that does not emphasize patience and trust. To believe the promises of God always will require patience and trust. Not only is it 25 years till he gets Isaac, it's another 400 plus years before, that beca- before he becomes a nation. So there's some time. Uh, The other part of this promise to Abram is this. Um, Thus far, what we've seen is God uh, making himself known to individuals. What's going to happen here in this kind of new, uh, this new beginning is that God is going to work primarily through a people. Now, here's the good news and bad news news here. I mean, from the get-go, This is going to be the nation of Israel, quick transition. This is going to become the church. Uh, And almost right off the bat, the people of God start doing crazy stuff. They do some good things and they do some bad things. And so when you look around at Christians gone wild in our own culture, and you're like, what in the world is going on? We have a long, long track record. We look back here and we're like, we've been doing this for a while. God's people have been going on about 6,000 years of, uh, of having a sketchy track record. And yet, God has been faithful. But the part of that is, we live in a very, very individualistic culture. We live in a culture that is very much about us. It's about our rights, our freedoms, our things. This is different than what we are called to. It's different from a lot of other cultures. Western culture is. But this is different to what we've been called to. God calls a people. God works through a people and that's good, and that's hard, and, 
there's some good things about that. We're never alone. It's not totally up to us. We image God in, as a, uh, a people. But this is more than just Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Jesus is the Savior of his people, and we gain significance and meaning and value because we belong to that people. So that means that we can't just care less about others. We are called to care for and to encourage one another. When you count the one another's in the New Testament, they're all over the place. To lift up one another, bound together in love, to walk with and endure one another. The New Testament calls us a body with different parts. So that also means that you matter no part of the body is insignificant. There is a comedian, which I, it can't be named anymore. Uh, it's Bill Cosby. Uh, but he had a funny part where he talked about the pinky. Nobody cares about the pinky toe. Um, you know, and, and you're, when you're walking through a dark room uh, and your brain is like, I don't need the light. I can walk through without the light. I know my way through this. And the heart's like, you know, it just doesn't take much to just turn the light on. And the pinky toe's down there going, turn on the light. <laughs> Every part of the body matters. You matter. There is no part that's more important than the other. When you encourage someone, when you show up here on a Sunday, or when you hang in there and watch the services on YouTube every week, when you participate in a GC, when you tell someone that you love them and you're thankful for them, when you're in need and you ask for help from a brother or a sister, when you're concerned about someone else and ask how they're doing, when you miss seeing somebody and just reach out to them, when someone confesses to you and you listen and pronounce God's grace over them and speak against the darkness and the shame, when you show compassion instead of vengeance or judgment and show and call and compel others to do the same. All of this is part of the body and we're different and we're going to get on each other's nerves and we're going to not be an echo chamber, uh, but follower of Jesus, we are family, whether we want to be or not. Genesis 12, God launches this new project and it's going to spill over into becoming the church and it's not just me and Jesus, it is we and Jesus. We are part of a body, a people. Second part of this covenant, God promises Abraham, uh, Abram a land. Uh, now, I hit this pretty hard a couple weeks ago when I talked about Babel, that we are not, Christians are not people of a land. Um, and so you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not supposed to be that. And that's right. And here's the thing. The difference for Israel is the land was not the end in and of itself. The land was not their security. God was their security. The land was simply a means to an end. And it's funny, the land that God gave Israel. Not like funny ha-ha, but funny interesting. Um, maybe funny ha-ha. Uh, if God wanted his people to be sufficient and protected and, and removed in a, st a strategic military place, um, he would not have given them the stretch of land that he gave them. He could have kept them in Egypt. Egypt has the Nile River, the lifeblood of that land. Um, but he didn't. He could have given them Lebanon. We were able to go to Beirut a few years ago, and Lebanon is protected on both sides by mountain ranges, protected from Syria on this side, and then the mountain range right before the Mediterranean Sea on this side. In the middle, you have the beautiful and, uh, and very fertile Bekaa Valley, uh, but he didn't give them that. 
Um, God puts them in Canaan. And the joke about Canaan is that like when you do a home project, that God had, had finished creating the earth and he had a couple extra bags of rocks left over and he's like, I'll just put them in Canaan. It's not fertile soil at all. It's not very attractive. Apparently there's milk and honey because that was one of the promises. There's not a whole lot there. Um, but if you were going to travel, if you were going to go, if you did commerce at all, if you did trade at all, if you went from Rome or anything north to anywhere south down to Africa or anywhere else in the Middle East, you had to go through Israel. You had to go through Canaan. You have the, the Mediterranean over here, and then you have the Syrian desert over here. You can't go anywhere else. You have to go right through. And so God puts his people right there in the middle. Uh, Gary Goldman, he's a Jewish comedian. He's one of my favorite comedians. He talks about um, how he believes in God, but he's not a fan uh, as, as a Jewish man uh, because, because he, he reads the Old Testament. He's like, every 75 pages, we're on the brink of extinction. And... Um, but he, he talks about how the Old Testament could be rewritten into a book called He's Not That Into You, um, which I think is funny. And so he gives some examples, like if he doesn't text back the day you text him, he's not that into you. If he asks you to go out on a Saturday night on Saturday, he's not that into you. And he goes, this one's a little more obscure. See if you can recognize it. If he enslaves you in Egypt for 400 years and then delivers you to the only piece of property in the Middle East without an oil well beneath it, he's not that into you. <laughs> All right, so I think that's hysterical. But God was very intentional about putting his people where he put them. He was very intentional about that. He puts them right in the middle of everything. His promise is not for his people, his promise is not wealth or protection or security or fertile land. He gives them exposure to the ends of the earth. His plan after the rebellion in Genesis 3, his plan after the rebellion in Genesis 11 is for his people to go into all the world and bear his image. And so he puts his people right smack dab in the middle of all the known earth. And I love the way Michael Williams puts this. He says, God did not call his people to a mountaintop monastery, but to a strip mall on Main Street. He puts them at Grand Central Station because his mission for his people is not a life just removed from struggle and, and strife. It is, it's not a military dominance. It's not wealth or prosperity. It's not an us versus them. His, his goal is for his people to be there for the sake of all the nations surrounding them. That they would bear his image. Friends, let me give you some encouragement. Even in this time, unprecedented times, right? Which they're becoming more and more precedented. Um, maybe even especially right now, God more than likely has you in situations and neighborhoods and online groups and work cohorts and book clubs and whatever else to bear witness to the hope that you have in you in Jesus. Your willingness to be vulnerable and open and demonstrate care and compassion because you have needed care and compassion from Jesus bears, the na bears his name well. 
in some of the greatest contention that I've ever lived in, I've had more really, really, really good conversations about Jesus. Some people that are fed up with the church and are walking away. Some with people that are far from the church. Some with other religions. One of my closest friends is now becoming a, she's an Orthodox rabbi. And you heard that correct. She's an Orthodox rabbi. She's like a unicorn. She's awesome. Orthodox Jews don't have very female rabbis. Okay, we all, there's like 20 of them in existence. So I feel like I know a unicorn. Um, I've had just some amazing conversations about Jesus. Some of it, I think, is because it's a stark contrast I'm really trying hard not to be a jerk. You'd be amazed how far that goes. So easy. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes it's easy. Um, trying to find common ground, have conversations, trying to be a blessing. When Israel gets into trouble, they get into trouble because they fear the other nations more than they fear God. They fear people that are different from them. And then they operate on that. And then it gets reinforced. Um, my hope for you, be in the middle of those conversations. Don't feel like you have to give a sales pitch. Don't give, feel like you have to close the deal. Don't feel like you have to have it all together. Be in the middle of those conversations. Have them. Demonstrate a trust and faith in Jesus, not one that's beyond any kind of, of uh, rubble or, or imperfection, but one that's struggling to hang on and trusting that God is hanging on to you. Don't be fearful of other people's agendas or world orders or people that are different from you. Be present. Be confident in God's provision, in his goodness, in his sovereignty, his mercy, and then plant yourself right in the middle of those. Whatever the conversations you're having right now, wherever you're at, just be there. You don't have to sell God. You don't have to market him. You don't have to have a clever pickup line. Just, just be there. Walk in your openness and vulnerability and let God make himself known. Um, here's the thing, and I will tell you this for sure. With all the stuff going on in our world right now, make no mistake that people are hungry. They are looking at things. And not just hungry for God. Some people are very hungry for Babel. Some people are very hungry to be on the right side. Some people are very hungry to pick a team. But other people are questioning everything. They're wondering if God's existence is real. They're wondering if there's a God who, if, if any of this makes a difference. Um, and uh, we were told in the early 2000s that spirituality and religion was gonna be dead by now. And you'll be happy to know that sociologists have changed their tune. Spirituality and religion is taking off the Western world is behind the times. <laughs> um, people are hungry. And we get to stand in the middle of the known earth. You get to jump on that Zoom meeting. And not like, not stand up on your table and Jesus is Lord. But a quiet, settled confidence. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be a salesman. But as people who have found and been found by the bread of life, 
you have the opportunity to invite others to the feast. The last two parts of this promise, they're actually dependent on each other. Israel will be blessed. God's people will be blessed. Um, Two aspects of this blessing. One is that God protects the seed. He will protect the seed all the way down until it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Uh, I'm reading this book on Paul, and Paul, it's very interesting. Paul does not... Paul does not convert from Judaism to Christianity. Paul sees Jesus because when he makes himself known, Paul sees Jesus as the fulfillment of Judaism. So Paul would not have considered himself not Jewish. He's like, this is it. This, is what, this, is, this completes the story. It makes total sense. Um, and so one, God's faithfulness, and when you read the Old Testament, if you see it as a story of this seed being protected, uh, kids, when your kids read it, they can, like the, the little acorn in, what's the movie? What's the, Ice Age. Is that the Ice Age movie? Like the seed is like the little acorn that it keeps trying to, maybe, I don't know. Through darkest times, God protects the seed and the lineage going down through time. If that works, use it. If it doesn't, I'm totally off the cuff. Um, so that's one. The other promise that God gives, the other blessing that God gives is his presence. It's not material wealth. It's not any of that stuff. It's his presence. I will be with you. He hears Moses. He makes himself known to Moses. He comes down to be with his people. He builds the tabernacle and then the temple. And then when Christ comes, he comes incarnate as one of us so that we can know him. And then the Holy Spirit comes to actually dwell in us. The fulfillment of all time and space is God coming down again to dwell with his people. The promise and the blessing of God is his presence. E-N-C-E, not E-N-T-S. Michael Williams says this, the end goal of this blessing to Abraham, uh, he, he says, uh, covenant intimacy and friendship with God was the ultimate goal of the Abrahamic covenant. To bask in the presence of God and then to make that known. And through that intimacy comes the missionary call. The point of the blessing and the presence of God with the nation that he will build from Abraham's seed is so that you will be a blessing. God's people will be a blessing. Um, the NIV used to have it. I don't know if they changed it, but if you have an NIV, you can mark this out and change it. Uh, it says, and you will be a blessing. Um, I don't know if that's been altered, but if you have that, take your Bible and scratch the and out and put so that. The blessing to the people of God, God's presence is intrinsically bound to the blessing through the people of God to every tribe and tongue, every nation, every people. Problems start when God's people both begin to fear the other nations around them more than a proper fear of God and or when they start to take the blessing of God and hoard it and build walls around it and say this is for us and not anybody else. Um, I grew up with the Great Commission. Uh, everybody knows the Great Commission? Do you guys know the Great Commission? How's it start? There's another, this another trap. How's the Great Commission start? Anybody know? Everybody knows it in King James, which is fine. Okay, go ye therefore. Okay, good. That's not where it starts. It starts with, I have been, I'm sorry. All authority on heaven and earth are mine. Therefore, 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the promise at the end, behold, I will be with you even to the ends of the age. So it starts with, I have all authority, therefore go, and behold, I am with you. And you might be interested to know that that is the second great commission. The first great commission is the one we just read. Um, go from your country and your kindred to your, and, uh, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who curse you, uh, who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We're called to go and bear the image of God in the presence of our God in word and deed. And anyone and everyone that might receive re reconciliation, adoption as sons and daughters. Um, this is the grand scheme of God's plan. It's not destruction, it's reconciliation. The grand mission for God's people is not dominance. It is, it is the confidence and humility that comes with bearing the image of God. It's not fear or self-protection. That's when we make it about me or about us. It is an incredible, outlandish grace freely given to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our city, to the poor and the outsider, to the Walmart crowd and the Target crowd, to the hurting and the hurt from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Which also, adding on to that very quickly, when we say go out into all the world, it's important to realize that did not start with us. We were recipients of that first. So, summary. Promise of Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant, God promises a seed and that seed will become a people. Not only the fulfillment of that in Christ, but also that we are to be a people. And so if we have submitted our life to Christ, you are part of a people. You are not more nor less important than that. You belong. You are a part. You have been adopted into this family, as have I. And you are important as a part of God's people. And then that God promises a land, a land, by the way, in Romans 14, uh, 4, 13, that Paul says is actually the whole earth. Um, and this is not a military or ideological conquest, but it is under the kingship of, of Jesus. It is a people. But it's also important to remember that the initial land that was given to Abram, was promised him, was not the main goal. The main goal was for him, them to be right in the middle and to bear the image of God. That God would bless all nations that had to come through there when his people were faithful. Um, and so for us to not live in fear or isolation or judgment uh, of people that are different from us, but to us to live out our struggle and pursuit and holiness and trust right smack dab in the middle of Main Street or maybe right off of South Main Street in an ugly, nasty warehouse right along the Katy Trail with a really nice sign out front. And then God promises his blessing. His blessing is his presence. Behold, I am with you. We're not alone. 
God's presence will always be his, with his people to the ends of the age. Um, so we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to live in our insecurities and fears. We don't have to try to win every battle. God is with us. And finally, God has done this for his people to bear his image in righteousness and in justice, in mercy and compassion. It's not for our rights, but for his glory. So that every tribe and tongue and nation may experience and know the blessing, the presence of God. All right? So, as you um, smoke your hot wings and as you tweet and talk trash about Super Bowl and whatever else that you're going to plan to do this afternoon, do even that to the glory of God. Make his blessing known far as the curse is found. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that first, we have confidence that you, that, that your promise will be fulfilled. Um, that does not call us to laziness or indifference, nor does it call us to try to force your hand and make it happen. May we walk humbly but confidently in that promise. Um, may we know that promise. May we know your presence. May we sense and feel and know that you are with us day after day, not standing over us like a judge going to point out what we've done wrong, but standing over us like a loving father that simply wants us to walk with him and to trust him and to love him. And then, God, you are going to make yourself known, but you have chosen to do it in a gloriously inefficient way, which is through your people. And we are the church. We are your people, and we're messed up. And there's days, man, there's days when we get it right, and we rock and roll, and then there's days when we blow it. And on both of those days, you are sovereign and good and holy. And so may we rest in that. May we walk confidently in that. Thank you for being with your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.